to the Seven Figures Podcast, Smart Money Strategies for Women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Today on the show, your credit score is your mathematical DNA. How is it calculated? How often do you need it? And how does it impact your life? We'll break it down in no dumb questions. Plus, putting together the perfect pitch that will open up opportunities for you and increase your earning power. Author, publisher, confidence coach, Sheila Kennedy is here. And we'll take a seat at the kids' table. How much do kids really know about credit cards? We'll hear what they say, and our money expert has advice for parents next time you swipe your card in front of the kids. All of that and more today on the 7 Figures Podcast. Here's Sandy Waters. It's pretty awesome that you're here. A lot of you, I know, you would love to just push the financial responsibility off to somebody else because it would be so much easier. But trust me, it really is a good feeling when you can proudly say that you are the one who is financially confident. You know what's going on with your money. You might not be there just yet. Don't worry. We're going to help you get there. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. Thank you for subscribing, telling a friend about the show. I always love hearing from you directly, especially your money victories, how you make it all happen. So before we start, we have to give a shout out to Christine Elizabeth. She sent us a message on Facebook saying that she paid for a roof in cash last week. We knew the expense was coming, she said, budgeted, finally did it, felt so good to be prepared and handle a situation that at one point would have been a scramble to figure out. Paying in cash, in full, a beautiful new roof, with no payments attached. We will cheers to that, Christine. Congratulations, Christine Elizabeth. How much do you know about your credit score? Have you taken the time to look it up? If you haven't, you're definitely not alone. A lot of people don't know how it's calculated. They don't know why they need it. And that's why we start the show with no dumb questions. Our CFP, Erica Cummings, from the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management is here. Hi, Erica. Good morning. How are you? Good. Okay. The credit score. What do we need to know? So this is really important. It is the, the mathematical DNA of your life. Your credit score provides lenders a holistic look into your financial history. Uh, One factor that I want everybody to really focus on, and it matters the most, is your payment history. So whether or not you make your payments on time, and this is really critical right now because we are in the middle of this pandemic, people are really falling on hard times. I can't stress enough that if you're having a hard time making payments, that you reach out to your lenders and you try and negotiate some way to make sure that this doesn't put a black mark on your score because it really does have long-term effects. So about 35% of your credit score is influenced by your payment history. So that's a huge amount. So one missed payment on one month can have a real negative effect and it sits there for years. So I, I can't stress enough to reach out to your lenders, see what you can do at this point. Do not let this fall apart because of what's happening. The other factors are the amounts that you owe. So do you have a lot of outstanding credit, the length of your credit history, any new credit that you're applying for, and then the type of credit that you have. So your credit mix. So how much is revolving and how much is, for example, a mortgage, how much are car payments. So they look at how much of the debt that you're utilizing is something that you continue kind of on a revolving basis or you know, mortgages are definitely looked at something that's a little bit more stable. 
The reason this is so important is because people think that you can make a mistake or two and then you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. It's so important nowadays because banks are becoming more and more strict about underwriting. Companies are becoming more and more strict about allowing you to borrow money because they realize that we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a situation where the economy may, may take some time to to kind of re-emerge uh, again. And there are people out there that may or may not be able to continue to pay. So obviously we know that you're, when you're looking at your credit score, it absolutely has a huge effect on the rates that you're getting when you buy homes, the rates that you're getting if you're going to buy a car. But some of the things that people don't think about is if you're renting. So back in the day when I was in college and I was renting, they didn't check your credit score. Nowadays, they do. Landlords want to use your credit score in deciding whether or not to rent to you at all. So it's really important that you think about the fact that if you make a couple of bad payments, that might eliminate you from being able to rent that apartment. And this is really good for kids that are going into college and then entering into the job force after. Speaking of which, looking for a job. So when people are looking for jobs nowadays, depending on the type of job that you're looking for, they may ask you for a credit check. Really? Yes. Oh, yes. Geez. Many employers conduct credit checks as part of the hiring process. And if you haven't demonstrated financial responsibility, a prospective employer might be reluctant to hire you, especially if it's jobs involving access to money or sensitive customer data or any type of company information. Mm. And remember, they're entitled to do this. There's no law against it. So they can, if you don't want to do it, then that's fine, but you're not going to get the job. So this might be part of their, it's similar to if people are going to be expected to be driving a lot, if they're going to be in sales, uh, they want you to have a clean driving record. So these are some of the requirements for certain jobs. Also your utilities, believe it or not, you can have your utilities ask for a larger deposit when you mm -hmm. first turn them on if you have really bad credit. So they might say, you know what, we're not going to give you electricity. We're not going to give you a cell phone. We're not going to give you water if we're concerned that you're not going to pay after the first month or two. So believe it or not, they can actually ask you to check your credit history. Also insurance rates. So if your auto insurance rates are high now, they could climb even higher if you have bad credit because insurance companies have documented that people with bad credit tend to file more claims, providing these companies with an easy excuse to charge applicants higher insurance premiums. Again, I mentioned the cell phone. If you have bad credit, cell phone providers may not give you a contract or may not extend one without a large security deposit. So these are things that I really want everybody to realize that it's not just, oh, you know what? I bought my house already. I have my car. If I make a bad payment, no big deal. There are multiple, multiple things that you engage in every single day that may require that credit score. So it's really important that you covet it like you would cover your, covet your health. Think of it as your, your mathematical DNA, and you want to make sure that you take as, as good a care of it as possible. Now, how can we reach out to you directly, Erica, and how can we follow you? So we have our website, which is www.harmonyfinancialwellness.com. We're also on Facebook at the same name, Harmony Financial Wellness. And we also can be contacted at my email, erica.cummings at rbc.com. We have some great webinars coming up this month and next, so we'd be happy to get you on the list. Thanks, Erica. Have a good weekend. You too.
right, it is time now to increase your earning power, open up opportunities, boost your confidence, exactly what you need, especially right now when a lot of us are just kind of stuck with this pandemic here. Sheila Kennedy, author, publisher, and confidence coach is here. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Sandy. It's so good to be here. As a publisher, you are constantly coaching new authors how to market themselves, how to put together that perfect pitch. Yes. So what do you tell them that we should all know? I actually started understanding what the perfect pitch was all about way back when, when I started my career, I was working for the army and I was a master trainer and I was teaching courses to adults. And so one part of my training was learning how to engage with the audience or, you know, market, if you will, to these soldiers and their family members to come to these classes. And so part of the, you know, training, the adult learning part is that adults won't come, they won't engage unless they buy in. And so you always have to lead with the benefit for the receiver, not what the benefit of, for you is. And so I have actually applied that my entire professional career. So when I, you know, think about marketing, when I'm trying to pitch, when I've tried to go in for a new rate, you know, a raise, when I have been pitching to clients or potential clients, you know, whatever the case is, I always keep in mind, what is the receiver going to benefit? And how do I articulate that? Because that is key for whatever it is that you want to do. <laughs> well, that's true. And everybody is that what's in it for me, right? Yeah. Mentality. So, Absolutely. okay. I hate to say it that way, but it actually just creates so much more effective interaction with people. Mm. Um, you know, when they don't feel like they are being sold to, especially, it's really important. They want to know that you have connected with them. You understand them. You have empathy for them. Um, you have something that might actually make their life much better. <laughs> That's really important. Even when we're talking about, you know, most of my time right now is spent on media, right? Pitching the media to have a new author talk about what they're doing or something like that. Well, I don't ever you know, pitch to a producer and say, hey, you know what? This lady has a new book come out. I think you should interview her. Because you know what they're going to say? Who cares? Um, it's not newsworthy. And even though it's a monumental experience for that author, because they finally put into words all the things that they've wanted to say for so long, um, but it doesn't really matter to anybody else. They, It's the author's job or their publicist. It's their job to articulate what is the benefit to the audience. Um, because that's what's going to actually entice people to pick up the book and read it, mm. not that you've written it. And all of this ties so nicely into one of the books that you wrote, one of your first books, actually, Choices to Changes, where you sat down with super successful entrepreneurs and learned their secret to success. Can you tell us the backstory again, how the book came about? <laughs> Will your brother get mad at you if you tell the story one more time? Well, he might, but that's okay. But I think that um, I think it's important because when we're talking about pitching, um, when we're talking about it, you know engaging an audience, we have to be prepared that we're going to have rejection, and that doesn't mean that it's negative. 
um, I see rejection or I see questions as feedback. And then I can grow from that. And I have to tell you that Jeff Hoffman was one. He was, um, for those of you that don't know, he created Priceline.com. Um, and he was one of the entrepreneurs in the book that I interviewed. Um, but he was saying that, you know, there's no bad no, <laughs> um, because it's all information. You can learn from what that is. And that is the story about my brother. I wanted to write Choices to Changes, and I was telling him about it. And he said, you can't write that book. And the premise behind the book was to use the confidence principles from my first book, You Had It All Along, and kind of just apply them in an entrepreneurial setting. And so I was telling him about it. I was pitching it, if you will. And he said, you can't write that book. And I was like, why? He said, you don't make enough money. People won't believe you. You're not believable. You don't have a six-figure income. And so at first I was mad. And, but then I asked him questions about it. And, and you know, I, I shared with him that, well, the people that are confident entrepreneurs already and making six figures aren't going to read the book anyhow. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but after I walked away from the conversation, I really thought about it. And I was like, how can I make this more enticing to the audience? How can I benefit them in a better way? Because I don't have the experience of that. So I decided to interview people who have been incredibly successful and um, show confident entrepreneurship. And so that's what I did. And it created an amazing backdrop for this book. And um, what I did in order to prove, I guess, that the, the practices worked, I needed to raise money to publish the book. And I decided that I didn't want to crowdfund and, you know, any of that. I just had all of these people tell me their best success stories. And so I used all of those practices for 60 days and to see what would happen to see if I would raise the money. And I actually tripled my income. Wow. I was, yeah, I was attracting my ideal clients. I was asking to be, you know, a speaker on stages and things like that. So all my life got really good because I employed these practices and I became a magnet for the abundance that I was looking for. Oh, and it's all because of your brother. It is. Yeah. And so I don't want people to be afraid of the no's or the questions that you're going to get because it's all it all informs how you move forward. Because maybe when you're pitching, you're not pitching to the right person. Mm. Or maybe you need more clarity about who your ideal audience is. Or maybe you um, there are some some things that you haven't thought of yet that are now really good points that are going to help sell, if you will, to the next person that you pitch to so that they'll become a yes. Um, so all of it is good. I don't want anybody to be afraid of hearing a no. So what are some of these takeaways from these very successful people that you interviewed? So one of the things that, you know, your earning power really... Keith Duterte, he was instrumental. I think this is the most important thing that I, I learned the entire time is that action expresses priority. And so what I did is part of like what I call the daily magnet, which is all of those practices I do, um, is make an activity log. And so I, I write down every day the thing, everything I do <laughs> so that I can see how my 
time is being spent and what are my priorities? And I am, you know, embarrassed to say there's a lot of times when it's not really being spent as effectively as it could be. (laughs) Mm. Well, I think we could all say that. Sure. Sure. We're busy, but we don't know what we're busy doing. Yes. And so that really helps, you know, and it creates pocket, it helps so much with my time management. Um, So that was really instrumental. One of the other things was Cheryl Latre and actually Lisa Powers. She wasn't in the book, but she was also somebody that was very, that taught me this, um, was to record your money every day and how much money is coming in. And that might be the penny you pick up off the floor. um, And that's fine but record everything so that you're aware of all of the abundance that is coming into your life each day. Um, And the other thing that was really probably the most, or one of the most influential things was from Sarah Newton. And she told me that she doesn't go to bed at night until she's done at least three revenue generating activities. And that has been You know, I have to, unfortunately, I don't hit it every single day, but I try really hard to make sure that I don't go to bed without doing at least three things that will bring revenue into my business. Oh my gosh, isn't that hard though? No, it's really not. Sometimes it's What would I do today to generate revenue? Right, but here you go. Like you, in order for you to have a paycheck, you had to go show up at work, right? So that would be a revenue generating activity. (laughs) We're having this podcast recording, right? So that's a revenue generating activity. Um, If you were to sell something on Facebook Marketplace, that's a revenue generating activity. Okay. All right. It's bringing in revenue. It's bringing in income. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, maybe you took bottles back today on your way to the grocery store. Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily that you are, you know, signing a new client, but it could be just maintaining the files or um, practices that keep your clients <laughs> or your business. And that is uh, the mindset of abundance again, right? To take notice right. of what you have and how yeah. you are moving forward as opposed to being stuck in the... Yes. Well. What I wish I had or what I wish I would be doing, right? I know. Well, stuck is a terrible place to be. And, you know, it is, but it doesn't have to be. And and part of this is being able to pitch an idea to somebody so that you get unstuck, right? Sometimes we just need that shift in energy. I have something that I want to share with you. That means there's abundance right there right? Mm. Because if you have an idea that you want to share, that's an abundance producing activity. Um, So every time you would want to pitch or anytime that you hear a no or that, that's all going to help you um, attract and be a magnet for the abundance that you want. Wonderful. How can we find this book, Choices to Changes, in your other books and follow you with all the other stuff that you're doing? Well, um, they're all up on Amazon, I believe, still. <laughs> so I know it's wanna... been a while since you wrote it that has. book. It really has. I can't believe it. it's been five years. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Uh, so, But that's on Amazon. And um, you had it all along. It's there as well. But if you actually go to thezebrainc.com, and it's ink with a K, not a C. Um, if you go to thezebrainc.com, I have a blog post that has you had it all along for free. So, and it's by that title. So if anybody wants that, and that's about building confidence at your core, 
So if you think that that might be useful to you, that's a gift from me. So don't go, don't go buy it. <laughs> I'm giving it to you. Oh, I can listen um, to you. Don't buy it. Like, we got to check one off your list of money generating <laughs> things that you did today. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is, so, I mean, that's important. Um, but the Zebra Inc. and on social media, gosh, please connect with me. I think I'm the Zebra Inc. on all of the platforms. So okay. um, I would love to be able to connect. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Sandy. It's been so fun. All right. It is time now to take a seat at the kids' table. Our money expert CEO of Money Savvy Generation, Susan Beecham, is here with us again. Hi, Susan. Hello, Sandy. Today we had parents ask their kids how a credit card works. How do credit cards work? Once you use all the money, you have to put money in it if you want to use it again. So you get to put the money that you want to use into the credit card and then you have to pay it back. How do you think credit cards work? It's like a little card that you put the money on it and then every time you use it, if you spent like $100, it would give you like $110 that you would have to put back in a credit card. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) How do you think they work? I know that they work all the time. You like push them in and then you like and then and then when it's ready you pull it out and then what happens and then all your money some of your money's inside of it and it get you can pay stuff there you go easy as that yep she's got it all worked <laughs> out and she did a beautiful job of pointing out what I've said in past weeks, that kids are concrete learners, not abstract learners. Mm. And and our youngest just told you everything she's seen. And that's why I love these beginnings. Ask the kids for their, their ideas. It's the first wonderful step when you're approaching these lessons is to ask them what they think. And then you go from there. And all these kids today, even though we're supposed to be talking about credit, they all talked about debit put money in put money on that's a debit card or an atm card and that is what they're used to seeing and working with we give them gift cards again money's been put on or put in and then they get to use it so let's un- let's do the second step let's let's unpack the ask there are three things that you can talk to your kids about what's an atm card What's a debit card and what's a credit card? And so an ATM card and show them the physical card. Because remember, we want to show them concrete examples. Show them the card. Explain that it's tied to your account. What does that mean? We put money in our account. We use this card to pull our money out. We can't make a phone or an online purchase with it. And if you look at the card, you're only going to see the name of our bank. What's a debit card? Well, a debit card is tied to your bank account as well. Pull your card out of your wallet. Let's look at it together. It's got a bank name and it's probably got a Visa or MasterCard logo. That makes it different. That debit card, which is tied to your bank account, allows you to make purchases in person and online. But if you spend more than you have in your account, you'll be charged for that overdraft. Not only the interest, but also a fee. So let's take a look at credit for a second. Credit is not your money. 
not your money. That's where you stop and make the distinction. Debit and ATM, that's your money. That's linked to money you put in your account. But a credit card, it's debt. It's borrowing. It's very convenient. You, you, can, you can make purchases online or over the phone. And as long as you pay that money back that you borrowed during the grace period, then no interest. But if you don't pay that money back that you borrowed, it's outside the grace period, you'll pay interest as well as a fee. Is it, I was going to ask you, is it almost dangerous to use a credit card too much in front of kids? Should we use cash instead? What you need to do whenever you use your credit card, and let's, let's be honest, we're all going to use our credit cards because it's the most convenient, but we're adults and we get it. We understand how to use it. Start talking about what you're doing when you're making the purchase. And while this may feel painful at first, let's say you're at a store and you pull out your credit card. You turn to your child and you don't have to announce this to the whole store, but you turn to your child (laughs) and you say, we're not using mom and dad's money right now. With a credit card, we're using the bank's money. We're borrowing it. It's very convenient. But we have a grace period of 27 days, which means... I have to get this money back in full to the bank before the 27th day. Then I'm not charged interest. But if I go to 28 days, this this transaction, this TV, this microwave, this piece of clothing is going to cost me so much more money. I feel like that's hard for some parents, though. If they themselves are struggling to pay the bill in full, is it Almost one of those situations where, hey, do what I say, not what I do. You can explain credit. You don't have to tell them how you handle your credit. What you tell them is these are the rules of credit. What you're doing, doubtful that your kids are completely aware of your credit card balance and how you're handling it. Yeah, I think that's what's tough, though, for some of us to talk open and honestly and and candidly about um, money with kids. And I hate to use the word ashamed because you shouldn't be when you're struggling financially. Just recognize it and try to, you know, take control over it. But I feel like the shame does kind of push the conversation to the side. It makes us uncomfortable to talk about our money mistakes. But it's a very powerful story to teach our kids about money. Uh, We've all made money mistakes. Even I have made money mistakes. And my husband's more than willing to tell our kids about (laughs) your mistakes. Yeah, My first money mistake, which was not understanding revolving credit. So very quickly, I'd moved out into my first apartment in Chicago. I was very excited. I went to Marshall Fields. Some of you may know that name. It's kind of gone by now, but it was a, a department store. And I bought a bunch of stuff. And I, um, I had a very nice apartment and I had lived at my parents before that. And so my bill was not finding me at my new address because I didn't reach out to Marshall Fields and say, so by the way, I've moved. So when the bill comes due, mm. here's my new address. Here you didn't get a bill. You thought you scammed the system. Correct. <laughs> and I was in my 20s. No one, Sandy, had ever explained the mechanics Uh, of credit to me because in my family, it wasn't that they were ashamed to talk about money. It was not 
my business. Money silence is never a good idea. So if you make a money mistake, and I recognize there are some you're not going to talk to your kids about, but letting your kids know you made a mistake and how you fixed it is okay. Is huge. Yeah. Because what you're saying to them is, and to so many kids who go off to college, Sandy, and rack up a lot of credit card debt and don't come to tell their parents about it until the revolving credit or the interest rate has sunk them. Yeah. It's telling your kids, the minute you make that mistake or you miss that grace period, come back to me and we'll fix it. Easier to fix the problem earlier than later. So I'm not saying that if you talk to them about debit, ATM, and credit, that they're going to hit the ground running. But if you talk to them about it, and you talk to them about it when you use it, and you keep talking to them about it, then by the time they're about to ask you for one or to help them get one, they will have all these points of contact that you've made with them. The more you talk about it, the more impressions there are, and the more likely a child is to use it responsibly. All right. Perfect. Susan, where can we follow you and uh, how can we reach out to you? Okay. So listeners can follow me at my blog, which is at susanbeecham.com. And they can find Money Savvy Generations award-winning products and some free resources at moneysavvy.com. Wonderful. Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Sandy. Wraps it up. So much good stuff. Let me know if there's a topic that you want us to answer in No Dumb Questions, if there's a guest you want me to try to get on the show, or if you need help talking to the kids about money. This podcast is for you. Cheers to each and every single one of you who's proud to say that you're on your way to being a financially confident woman. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Seven Figures Podcast. Click subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union.